11-year MLS pro Quincy Marroquois here, and you're now listening to The Perfect Soccer Podcast, where your host goes one-on-one to get to know your favorite professional soccer players, both on and off the pitch. Because how better to learn what it takes to become a pro soccer player other than directly from pro soccer players? Today's episode is brought to you by PerfectSoccerSkills.com, the number one and only platform you'll ever need to connect with and learn from pro soccer players. Learn more and enter to win weekly soccer prizes, goals, balls, jerseys, player meet and greets, and more by heading over to PerfectSoccerSkills.com PSTM to enter to win for free today. With that said, please enjoy today's episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Perfect Soccer Podcast. Our special guest today is Jay Demerit. Jay, how's it going? What's going on? How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, let's just go back in time a little bit. What, what's your first memory of playing soccer? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Green Bay, so I had a different football usually in the back of my yard. But um, I think the first real soccer memories I have was probably when I was about seven or eight. And coach who I liked England and and so he uh he brought it the, together that first Liverpool jersey that said candy across it and I didn't like it I liked it because it said candy not because I knew what Liverpool was or anything like that but uh I thought that's kind of my first remember a remembrance of of, of uh of soccer and like the world level yeah for sure and then um I know you grew up uh you played multiple sports um like when did is it was it in like high school like when was it like that you took soccer more serious uh, I mean, it was, it was generally after high school. Cause I, I was a three sport athlete in, in high school. I played basketball in the winters and ran track in the spring. So I was, I was a pretty busy athlete, so to speak in a way I, you know, I'm, I'm very adamant of, of the multi-sport background. I, I like it. I, I think it was something that we, we should probably start to reteach again yeah. um, because just because of the intangible skills that you get by doing other things, you know, track is one versus one with a team sport, basketball is five. Soccer is 11. And so you just think about even social environments, communication environments, all those types of things that really, you know, help us with our development as athletes. And, and I think I was able to, to be accustomed to all of those growing up. And so I think in the end that served me. But again, that made me not really practice every day on the soccer field till I was 18. Um, and, and so I had some catching up to do when I got to university. I got one, one, one university scholarship offer uh, from my hometown university, UW-Green Bay. Um, and then I got a kind of a, a favor scholarship, the coach at UIC, which was in the same conference in Chicago uh, as as UW Green Bay, like a small D1 school. Um, my coach from high school knew that coach. He's like, take a chance in this guy. So I got like a two grand a year scholarship uh, for my first year um, in, in Chicago. But, uh, you know, for me, that was a great step in the right direction. Yeah, that, I mean, that's crazy. And yeah, I always discuss with uh, all the all the guys I have on. Um about playing multiple sports and, and I'm on, I'm on your side with that. I think, I think kids should just play multiple sports and not stick to one, like immediately, at least just so like they get a feel, I think it, it just like all that different stuff, like combines to, to make you better as a teammate, a player, and just in general, overall person. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Then just what was your overall experience at, at college? I mean, it was great. You know, we were a, a, a small D1 school, but we ended up making the NCAA tournament back to back seasons. My sophomore, junior year, we made it to the Sweet 16. Uh, we were the first ever UIC team to do that. And so 
Uh, we got to play Stanford out at Stanford and kind of play against the big dogs. So um, that was a good, good upbringing for me to really kind of, I guess for me, it was, it was kind of where I started to realize that I, maybe I, I was a decent player because you start playing against those types of players, playing in NCAA tournaments and doing pretty well. That's when I first kind of realized like, Oh man, maybe, maybe a kid from Wisconsin can do this. Maybe, maybe there is a, a route to professional for me uh, considering my limited experience. And then all of a sudden by, you know, my senior year, I was, I was uh, honorable mention all American. So top, you know, 50, 60 players within the country. Uh, but again, my, my story goes, I didn't get drafted. I didn't get picked uh, probably because I wasn't part of the systems. Um, but also because I was last in line <laughs> because of, because of my story. And so within that, 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 that's, that's totally normal. And, and there's a lot of us that have to stand in line. And I think for me, um, having the patience to do that, having the ability to be aware of the, where I was in the line, I think really helped me. Uh, you know, I, I knew what it was like to not get picked. So I didn't take it personally. <laughs> yeah. And then it was about trying to make the most of what I had. And and that was a, you know, a good athleticism and ability to compete uh, and, and, and against anybody. And, and so I just, I got an opportunity to move to England uh, leave leave the states and, and and pack my bags and go try it in a bigger jungle and uh, and I decided that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, how how did you like? I know you just mentioned about how did how did you end up in England? Like, why didn't you try out for MLS teams or I don't know what the USL was like back then? But yeah, um, mainly because my best opportunity was in England. I was playing with a kid from uh, from London in Chicago. My last season in in, in Chicago mm-hmm. and. Again, I was right in Chicago. You know, like these these are MLS teams that could have taken me if they wanted me, and I think that showed me that they didn't. And again, that's fine. There were, there were other players to choose from. So um, I just looked at the opportunities. I'm like, I just graduated from university. I want to kind of get some life experience here. I'll go live in London for a little bit and check it out. And then when I got to London, you know, I saw a football culture at its finest. I saw what it's supposed to be, and I was like, I got to stay here. <laughs> this this yeah. is something I can't I can't let go. And uh, and, and so then I I, I made it my new my new mission to to stay. Yeah, and what I mean, wouldn't you say that that's just like bigger in general to play in, in England than MLS? Oh yeah, like I mean, you can't even compare the two cultures. One is just because yeah. England is like I always tell my friends that like, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, so the big NFL fans, big NFL state. And so try to have them wrap their heads around like what is the Premier League and what English football is like. It's like I say, imagine if Imagine if the NFL was all in Wisconsin and there were 96 teams in four NFL divisions, all in a relegation promotion, fighting every year to go up or or down. And there was two Lambeau fields in Green Bay and one wore green and the other one wore yellow and they fought each other in the streets. (laughs) And their faces are like, what? (laughs) Like, how is that even possible? How do you have two Lambeau fields in one place? It's as small as Green Bay. But that's what it's like, you know, like and then Manchester is only 45 minutes away from Liverpool. And then there's two more teams doing the same 40, 50,000 seat stadiums. And it's like that all up and down the country. And it's like it's such a unique place and and, and mainly because of the geography. But it's also just because the culture that's been created for over 150 years. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Then so so how did you join the team, the uh, Northwood? Uh, friends of friends just in London. Uh, I, I just had my first season in for a, a, even a lower division team called Southall Town out by the airport. Um, and I was just working my way up, you know, starting. At first you go there and, you know, you're an American, so they don't really think that you can play. So then I had to sit on the bench and start by the end of like, you know, four or five games late. 
And then after that, like find a new team. And so when I came back from Northwood, my coach had moved and he's like, Hey, we got this team called Watford. They're in the championship. He's like, we got a preseason friendly against them. Come do preseason with us. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And so I, I went and did preseason with them, played against Watford in a friendly and it, they had just come down from the Premier League. So, you know, as the story goes, you know, what happens then is a fire sale. So they got to get all the guys on money out the door because they can't afford them anymore. And then you've got to find new players that can help fill the bill, but for free, because you don't really have any money to bring anybody else in. And that was the situation Watford was in. And I was in a position where, you know, I was coming from non-league, so they didn't really have to pay for me. And I was looking for an opportunity. So again, everybody won in that situation and, uh, and, and kind of went to Watford and ended up uh, having a two week trial, making the team. Um, and then, ended up playing almost 30 games my first year. Um, Sean Dice, who famous coach now, he was he was playing in front of me. Um, but both the guys in front of me were 33 and 34. So they were towards the end of their careers. And Sean got injured. So he had like a six-week groin pull. And I kind of came in and took his spot. And then they're like, oh, we can get him off the books too. <laughs> and, and and so he went, he moved on. And 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 uh, uh, and then I stayed. And, and, and I ended up playing a lot of games my first year. I ended up walking out at Anfield. We had them in, the, in a Carlin Cup semifinal. So it was a two-leg. So I got to play at Anfield my first ever professional season. So, you know, I had to hit the ground running. I had to kind of have a baptism of fire, so to speak. But, you know, I prepared that for so long. You know, I, 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 I'd been in the trenches for so long and I wasn't going to, you know, if, if somebody was telling me I was good enough, I believed that I was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's when you kind of got to go in with confidence that you deserve to be there. And and that's kind of what I did early on and just stuck to my stuck, stuck to my guns and knew what I was good at and what not to do out, of, out there, you know, yeah. keep it simple, win the ball, give it to somebody else. That's better than you. You know, like that can, that can keep the ball. Like that, it was very simple. My first couple seasons, I wasn't leading. I wasn't having captaincies or anything like that. It's just like, Win the ball and give it to one of your teammates that's better on the ball than you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And then, yeah, overall, was, uh, you were there for a while, uh, or I'd say half your career. So, what was it? What was it like? Just uh, your experience there at, at Walford. I mean, Walford's an incredible club. It's it's the original family club. Uh, a lot of back history with Elton John and some unique stories there. And you know, it's not the biggest club, but it's in Northwest London. So I got to live in London for seven years. Almost eight, if you if you if you consider the non-league years as as playing, um, but you know, it, it, London as a footballer is incredible. You know, it, the the game drives the place, and so I think just being a part of that, um, and then learning the family and community elements of Watford, and really understanding what that's like, and empathizing with that, because I grew up in Green Bay, where you know, community and sports is is number one. And 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 so I kind of knew what that felt like. And so that helped me become a better pro and there and eventually a better captain for the club because it was kind of very similar community vibes. And and I think that that for me as as someone who grew up in that environment, uh really helped me again hit the ground running when I got to Watford. Yeah, no, for sure. And then and then 2007, uh you started playing for the USA national team. So how how did that all come about? Well I I I'm I'm probably the only player on the in the U.S. history, that's played in the Premier League before he gets a national team call up, <laughs> but that's kind of what happened to me. You know, I, as anyone knows, I kind of came through the back door through our playoff final, you know, scoring the goal in that game, and then and then the next year playing in the Premier League as an unknown American, you know, that walked over to England. It was it was kind of this crazy scenario, but then all of a sudden Bob Bradley starts to call, and he's like, "Dude, I remember your name from Chicago, but like, how'd you get here?" <laughs> But, you know, they're very much appreciative of the journey and saying, listen, we, you know, we can, we can see that you've improved a lot. And 
Um, we'd love to love to get you in. And so, you know, every footballer dreams of the first call up. And that's what happens. The, the manager calls you and he's and you know, usually gives you some kind of compliment or says, hey, we've been watching you. Uh, what do you think about getting a call up for your first national team appearance? And so, you know, as any as any footballer will say, it's that's the ultimate. That's what you want. You want to play for your country. There's no bigger honor in this sport. Um and so to get that first call up at, at 27 was was it was a big thing. And, and again, I, I I kept the same mentality. And the good thing was is that because I had Premier League experience, because I was at the time now in my third by my third season, I was captain of the club at, at Watford. And so I was able to kind of walk into the national team maybe with a little bit more uh, confidence, I guess, more than most. And I was playing with and against Carlos and Timmy and all those guys. And so I like I knew them. I hung out with them. So I was like sitting at their table in my first camp, which is kind of crazy. Like that, that doesn't happen either. And so I, you know, I just kind of became this anomaly of, of the story. And, and uh, again, very proud of, of, of my path, but, you know, playing for the national team is really when it starts to get really good and, 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 and really honorable. And <laughs> for me, that's, it was the next step. And, and it was like, I really want to play now. And, and so I had three and a half years to kind of get to a world cup and hopefully play in that, which, which uh, I was eventually able to do as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I've interviewed over like 80 soccer players now. And this is cr- like everyone's obviously story is unique and stuff, but like this is this is pretty crazy. <laughs> how you went, like, I don't know, it almost like it almost doesn't all add up, but it, it's 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 awesome. Yeah, you know, and we, that's what I, in, in 2011 after the after the World Cup, my story got turned into a documentary called Rise right. and Shine. You know, we use that now as a tool because of my, the guys that made it, they're like, dude, they call me up before the World Cup and they're like, Bro, if you make it to the World Cup and you play in a World Cup, like that's the craziest story ever. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and and so I didn't really think about it because again, I just I, I I don't know. I just felt like I was doing what I was capable of. I didn't think it was a big deal. But then if you think of that, you know, think about all the kids out there that are 19 and they don't they get passed over by a college, or if they if they're 21 and they're giving up the game, they they're good at college players, but they're like, uh, eh, I didn't get picked. You know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they'll just be angry at the game forever. You know, like I was opposite of that. Um, and, and so I think having a tool and that's kind of what they convinced me it was like, no, it's like how you got there is really where the bones of the story is. The rest of the stuff is great icing on the cake. But, you know, think of think of all the people that we can help uh, just by sharing a story. And so I think that for me was kind of the most unique part of my journey. And and, and I think having that uniqueness has is, is always been something that, uh, you know, you, you've, you've been a proud of. But because of the journey, it actually keeps you humble. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And you were like 27 or 28. So that's like super rare. Cause like, you know, obviously usually people are starting 15, 16, 17, 18 at the national team. Um, yeah. And then like, yeah, what was it, what was that feeling like to just put on the national Jersey in the world cup? I mean, it's the ultimate honor. I just, I'll remember it's burned into my memory, just my hand on my heart, U S England, our national anthem comes on, you know, that's when you know the world is watching we always talk about the pressure of the eyeballs like what's that like with the pressure of the eyeballs and there's no other pressure of the eyeballs like a world cup you know and you know like you got billions of people that are that you know are watching it's 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 the ultimate honor but it's the ultimate um it's the ultimate stage and and i think you know to be able to to get to the, that moment with the journey that i did and and have it have it the way that it ended up was you know it's a dream come true and and, and it's something that you know you can you cannot you can no one can ever take away from you yeah, no, definitely. All right, then how did this all happen that you became the first player to sign with Vancouver Vancouver Whitecaps? That the World Cup was finished and I was I was a free agent. I knew I was I was gonna leave Watford, um, but I didn't know where I wanted to go. And so I had a couple options to stay in Europe. 
But then I just had this thing in the back of my head because I know I had been there for seven and a half years, mainly by myself, you know, and you want to enjoy your career with your families and your friends and stuff. And don't get me wrong, my family would come and my friends would come, but it, you know, I was basically over there by myself for a very long time. And 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 then I was kind of getting to the twilight of my career, I would say the prime at 30, 31. And I was like, do I want to be the 34-year-old, 35-year-old that comes back to the MLM? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like most. And then everyone's like, oh, he's an old dude. Like he's just coming back to the MLS, retirement league, retirement league, whatever. And then all of a sudden I got hit with this kind of leadership role too, where it was like, okay, Vancouver's coming in to the league. It's an expansion franchise. You get to be the first signing and captain of that franchise. Like that's a super unique leadership opportunity in sports, you know, to, to be a part of something from the start. It's almost, you know, it almost doesn't exist in a modern day sporting world because all the teams have existed for so long. And so, you know, all those types of things really started to weigh up on my decision and and just going, okay, well, do I want anything more out of England? I kind of done everything I wanted to do there. And and then I was like, do I I don't want to come back old? And and so I thought, you know, at 30, 31 in the prime of my career, go be the first signing captain of a of a great franchise in a great city. That's not a bad, that's not a bad idea. And so that's kind of what what kind of eventually led me to. I think I think it I don't think it helped my national team ability. I, I think Bob kind of didn't really like that I came back to the MLS. He thought I should have continued to challenge myself in Europe. Um which, you know, again, he's got a point, but again, he's it was my journey and, and it was something I think I wanted to fill that gap that I didn't have in my career. Cause I, I moved to, to England at 23 and I, I never got to have my friends and family or go to Chicago and see all my boys there or like go to LA and see some family or, you know, yeah. that's the fun part about MLS is that you get to go to all these amazing cities and then you, your friends that live there or family that live there get to come and watch and enjoy the experience and, 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 and enjoy that day in the stadium with you. And I think, you know, I wanted that. I wanted that in, in a time where I could, I could have a great opportunity to do that and show that. And, and the MLS provided me that. Yeah, no, it must have been an awesome feeling too, just not getting drafted and then and then a, a brand new team wanting you to be the first player to sign with the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, humble pie is also uh, it's a fun time to be on the other side of that too. Right? Yeah. Like, hey, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, remember me? Yeah, that's <laughs> no, that's awesome. Enjoy learning what it takes to become a better player from professional soccer players. Well, how would you like to work with professional players one on one? Now you can with B Pro by Perfect Soccer. Head over to perfectsoccerskills.com slash B-E-P-R-O to apply to work with our network of pro players today. Um and then uh are you ready? Are you ready for the Quincy questions? You're gonna have to you're gonna have to think deep about these. Okay. Yeah, let's rock and roll. All right, what's the what's the most important skill or quality you feel made you successful as a pro player? Uh, I think it was my mentality. I, I, I think it was and a mentality on two levels. One was the ability to take on challenges and not think of them as adversities, but think of them as like part of the process. Because I went to design school and I have a degree in design, that's kind of what design teaches you. It's like you think of the, how to design something, and then you and then you like change the edges and then you try it out. And if you like it, you change, then you might, then you can change the color. And it's like, you don't really take those decisions personally. You just, if it makes sense, do it. And I think I really adopted that in my journey when I was able to take on those adversities because of that mindset and my mentality to like really take on challenges and be like, no, this is part of the process. What button can I change or what can I do to make this better? Instead of saying like, oh, I didn't make it or this coach doesn't like me. What a jerk. You know what I mean? Like I'm blaming everybody else. And I think a lot of players fall into that trap. And then once a, once I made it pro, I think that mentality of, of me 
just out on the soccer field to be relentless. I think that's a mentality. I think defense, defense, defending is a mentality first position. If you don't want to defend and be a dog out there, you're not going to be that good of a defender. And I think that's a mentality first concept. And when your body and your physicality and your and your and your aggressiveness can follow that physically, great. But the the core value of a defender, in my opinion, is 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 the mentality to go out there and compete, and the mentality to go out there and and, and disrupt. And and that's a uh, and that's a quality that I had. I think that um, that really served me, especially when you play against the big players, because that you got to have that. Otherwise, they're just going to wipe the floor with you because the reputation will beat you before the whistle even starts. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, what's the biggest mistake you think pro players are making? I don't think they're enjoying it as much as they should. I think that there's so much you can get as a professional from ways you can integrate into your community to cool things you get to do as a pro or invites you get to social events or car driving around a track or the sponsors that have these great things to do. And I, I don't know. I just feel like we live in a world where everything's so protected now and everyone wants to stay in the houses because of fear of social media or being seen at a place or being criticized. And I think, you know, I think that, I think players need to enjoy their careers more because they only last for so long. And, and, you know, I look back on my career and say, I enjoyed every second of it, but you're never going to get those days back when it's done. You know, you're going to go half and do something else. You're either going to be a coach or you're going to leave the profession altogether and you're going to do something else. And you're going to go, damn, I wish I would have enjoyed those days a little bit more. I wish I would have made a little bit more out of that, out of that day or that opportunity or that, that sponsor night or whatever I, I got to do, or that kid at the hospital, you know, when you're a pro, you get to enjoy all those moments and you should enjoy all those moments. And I think pros nowadays are kind of sit on their hands a little bit and don't try to put themselves out there. And I think that's a mistake. And I think you should enjoy every second in, in every direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the the lamest things is when like the critics and the media and the fans like catch people outside or like doing like just going out somewhere and they're like, Oh, shouldn't they be in the gym or something? I'm just like, yeah. Cause if they lost, they could have a good or a bad game if they went to that restaurant or not. Like, Exactly. Exactly. And those things you can't control, you know, and and again, like, you know, don't go out and get wasted after you get beat four zero. Like, again, like that's, that's smart. Don't do that. But like, go to a restaurant on a Tuesday and and with your boys and have a good time. If you got a Wednesday, you know what I mean? Like, this is the type of thing. Or just if the fans are there, go up there and buy their meals and be like, yo, sorry about that four oh. I know you guys are fans because you got your jersey on. You know, then all of a sudden they're not pissing and moaning on social media. They're actually going, damn, we got four loss and look at look at this guy buying our meals. Thank you. You know, like that's community at its key. And, you know, these are the types of things you can stand in front of. And I think that there needs to be more of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, what what advice would you give to a young player? I think my best advice is always to redefine what you think hard is. Because especially for young people. And I work in teenagers. I I have leadership programs, which is what I do now uh, post-career. And I was, so I work with teenagers all day long. And, and, and what I think, what I think is hard is very different from what they think is hard. And I think for the next generation, for them to be successful in in any way, they have to start to redefine what hard is. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, That's just like, that's like setting your goals and achieving them and setting a new goal, setting a new goal, setting a new goal. Yeah. And it's also just like, you know, taking things on the chin, uh, understanding yeah. that failures are part of the process, doing things out of your comfort zone is going to serve you, not hurt you. Um, you know, taking criticism is is valuable. Um, not taking credit things personally is valuable. Um, this whole idea of of comparing yourself to others is not very 
very good to your journey. Like these are all things that have been taught through a lot of the things like social media and, and just us having to not be able to say much as coaches or not being able to criticize in, in a way that's truthful, you know, because we have to try to take care of, of a lot of the, the things that may hurt their mental health. But, you know, I, I believe that mental health is something that you can train too. And when you teach mental performance, you're going to want criticism. You want feedback. You want these things that are going to make you better. But instead we're going, Oh, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. You can't say that to that person. And it's like, Oh, okay. Then, then I'll sit over here and not say it. And then I'll create resentment. And then that person will sit there and then the kid won't even know. And the kid will just sit there in this environment thinking that they know everything and that they're the best player in the world. Meanwhile, none of it's actually true. Yeah. And then they got future, they got future mental health problems later because guess what? That thing that they were so good at that everyone coddled them in and told them how great they were and all whatever got taken away because 1% gets to make it. Guess what? And then what happens? And then that kid goes, Oh, I'm mad at you, parent. And the parent goes, Well, I'm mad at you, kid. I just paid three grand a year for you to fail. And all of a sudden, here we are. And everyone's got mental health issues and no one's happy. Meanwhile, we're trying to support kids in youth development saying, Go be a soccer player. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's just not working. So we, we got to change that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sponsored like a little league, uh, a couple of little league teams. And I went to one of the games and it was T-ball. And at the end of the game, the kid asked, was like, oh, what's the score? Or well, who won? And he was like, oh, it was 5-5. Five, five. All the games ended in tie. And I was like, no. I was like, <laughs> that's that's the start of a problem right there where they got to win and lose. Well, no, 100%. And again, I'm all for participation. This is not a conversation yeah. about participation or participation ribbons. Give them to them, but give a winner's medal too. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's what victory is. And again, dealing with loss, dealing with adversity is actually more prevalent than dealing yeah. with wins. So, you know, if we don't teach kids how to lose, if we don't teach kids that losing is part of the process or that getting critiqued about a performance or saying, could have I done this better is actually better for them. Um, you know, only then are we going to start to to shift some of the mental health issues that are going on in our young people these days. Yeah, no, for sure. And I was just like, in my head, I was like, if the kid is old enough to ask that question, then they could take the loss, the winner of the loss. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, right. Why, why are you passionate about soccer? Um, well, I just think, I just think the culture of the game is unlike anything else. You, you know, and I think I learned that in England, this ability to, to, you know, to be, a part of something that is much bigger than you as a player really helped me fall in love with the game and understand the different parts of it and understand the, the different cultures of it. And I think, you know, once you fall in love with that for whatever reason, and I always say this because my son's just starting to like the game now and he's eight. And I'm like, dude, you got to fall in love with the game your own way because of the way I fell in love with the game is going to be very different than you or maybe not, but, but, but probably. And so I think, you know, creating a love for the game, through the culture. Why do you come to the stadium? What kind of players do you support? What kind of player do you want to be? What kind of championships can you win? You know, what, what kind of ways you can help? Like there's, there's so many different facets of what soccer and, 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 and can do for, for a community. And I think, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about it because even post-career, there's so many ways you can stay involved in the game. You know, you can come on podcasts and, and share your story. You can, you can, you can mentor young players. You can, work for clubs you can coach you can do all sorts of different ways or you can just put on your scarf and go be a fan and chant for 93 minutes too and drink beers with your buddies like that's awesome as well so it's like again the culture of the game runs so deep and i think that's that's truly what keeps my passion moving yeah for sure all right i got a few more Dr. sneaky fox sneaky fox which is again quincy where okay. i actually be a teammate with quincy uh yeah. not, not elbow him in the face well he was trying to elbow me in the face um was was uh 
uh, was Sneaky Fox. And and I that reinvigorated my passion for the game. You know, I, I had to sit around with some pros and 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 really compete again and and really for a shared a shared collective. You know, you don't you those locker room vibes are what you miss most. And I think, you know, Sneaky Fox, Quincy, and all the boys that were able to really bring that and we'll bring that again this year for TST, uh, really, really helped reignite the passion. And I think you know, that's the fun part. You can keep getting reignited. You kind of, I kind of, I put the ball away for a bit when I retired. I had a son. I, I, I do a lot of things off the ball. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I go to a game. I'm like, oh yeah, here it is. That's it. That's the passion I was looking for. And and so again, I think that, that the game just continues to remind you that in so many ways. Yeah, no, for sure. We're going to touch on that in a minute, but let me get through these last two questions about that. Uh, what is, so- these could be soccer or life related however you want to answer it. Uh, what is something that most people think is true that you believe isn't? Um, that youth academies are the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like that. Uh, what, what is something you would move forward with if you weren't scared of what would happen if things didn't go well? I mean, I go to music festivals a lot. And so I'd probably be like a famous DJ or something, try to try and work my way into the stage <laughs> of DJ or something. <laughs> All right. That's cool. All right. Going back to Sneaky Fox. So tell me, uh how that came about for you like how you got the call maybe from mike mcgee or or how you got involved in it yeah that's exactly what happened you know i've known mike for years but um mike was looking for some dogs out there you know ex-players that are like our mentality i guess and so he called me and was like do you want to play and i I hadn't played in six years and i ruptured my achilles had a second rupture in my perineal in the same left leg and the left foot and so I don't play much anymore. I can't really play for long periods of time, but he's like, dude, it's 40 minute games. It's 20 minute halves. Like you can roll subs. I'm like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> this could be interesting. And so then I, uh, I started to train and I got to the point where I could play in some games, but I realized that if I played five games in four days, I would be done. Yeah. Like there would be no way. Like I can't even get through a, a men's league game without getting super sore or trying to feel like I'm going to break down. And so I, even they're 40 game, 40 minutes, but I, I got to pay two in a day and the next day and the next day, I just had to take an ego check and be like, I want to stay involved. Uh, I know Mike always was like, you, I just want you to come in and I'd be with the guys too. Cause that's just one of my kind of locker room skills is just leadership and those types of teamwork kind of types of vibes. And so he's like, I just want you to come anyway. And, and so then I moved into that role very quickly and kind of motivation officer was my actual, uh, <laughs> my job title <laughs> but we uh but then then I, I i moved into that and and we had a great group and 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 really just came together as a bunch of men really enjoying the game and really challenging each other and having a go with each other and um i think it was it was a special time for all of us because a lot of guys had just retired or been in the recent years yeah. and it was just nice to get that ball back and, and and play in that but then locker room you know environments and then just performance and 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 a high and a high a high performance like mentality that all these guys that we chose have and had throughout their many many career many year careers and you know being in that all-star locker room with a bunch of degenerates is also super fun <laughs> yeah. no, I, it was awesome too i was watching every game and uh like me and quincy we had no idea what to expect at first because like twitter pages i feel like i mean just the social pages were like off and then all of a sudden like once a tournament it was just like on and then like even like watching your guys team it was like the commentators at first were like oh cool whatever like this team then like day two came around they were like oh they're like the favorite out of no and i was like all right you guys were kind of like 
downplaying them the day before, but all right. And then like, I already knew, cause I already saw the lineup and all the like former pros and all that. And, uh, and just looking at the other rosters and then, yeah, it was a, it was a cool ride and just seeing like everyone, like you said, like just everyone come together, like in that short period of time, I knew, I knew like everyone kind of semi might have known each other, not like personally, but like known of each other and things like that. But yeah, it was cool to see. And then I saw you fired up a lot on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it doesn't take much to fire me up, but I, I Oh, especially when I'm in that role to pump guys up, I'm there to to pump some tires to make sure that uh, guys are motivated and and uh, and having a good time out there. And you know that's that that's the vibe that I bring as well. And um and so that's 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 what we do. And 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 that's the vibe with Sneaky Fox. And so we're looking forward to this season or not this season, this year, because um, we'll do it all over again. You know, it's it's interesting. And Mike's got problems now because there's a bunch of guys that want to play. Yeah, and so he's like, "Oh, this is where GMs get this issue." We're like, ah, <laughs> all these good players. I only got eighteen spots. <laughs> yeah. That's dope. So, but I'm more like on the art side, so I help design the jerseys with this company O'Neill's, which I work with. Um, oh yeah, so those, we design yeah, those are dope. Those are dope. Yeah, and so we design them by scratch, and so we're already starting to look at the jersey design for this year and do some cool things around the merch and all that kind of fun stuff. Which again, my art background, I just love doing this kind of stuff too. So that's another way I can stay involved. And and again, just just a bunch of good dudes having a good time. And I, I think that's that's what the Sneaky Five vibes all about, all about. I want I want to see some neon orange ones. Oh, you're fine. It's funny you say that. Our third kit's looking to be neon. I don't I don't know if we're going to put neon in, in orange in it though, but we might. But we look out for the neon jersey because it's coming. All right, cool. All right, uh, you ready for some fun questions? Let's do it. All right, is it soccer or football? Well, again, I learned the culture of the game in England, so I got to say football. All right, uh, Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Why? For all the reasons, one, he's over the years, he has been more consistent. He has won a World Cup. I'm a team guy, and I just see him more of a teamwork, team environment personality within him. Um, and I think that's the reason why they won a World Cup and 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 why Ronaldo didn't and ended up walking by himself while his team was celebrating with the fans by himself across the field uh, to the locker room all alone. And that, for me, that says everything. Gotcha. All right, last one. Who would you want to do a jersey exchange with uh, that you've never done before? Uh, Messi. <laughs> right, <there laughs> for <you> sure. <laughs> I got to play against him three times, but I, I, I missed his jersey every time. I wasn't quick enough. Actually, actually, another last one, last one for real. What, what, what have you seen? Um, like, how have you seen like the impact so far that Messi's brought to like the MLS, and what, and what do you think in the future it's going to bring? It's funny. I was talking about this the other day because it's the first time that like my aunts and uncles, since David Beckham came, that they're talking about it, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, okay, I get this. This is just another another wave, and I think Messi starts the second wave of MLS, just like Beckham kind of started the first wave. Well, that would have been the second wave, of the start of the conceptual league, but like, yeah. really, David really put a whole nother level on it. And so I think this is happening again. I think there's better teams. I think there's better stadiums. I think there's a much better culture than there was in the Beckham days. Um, and I think that that's exciting because, you know, we're just getting started. In, in this country. And, and I think that that's great, not only for our national team, but it's great for our fans because again, this is a cultural game built around community and the people in the stands. And I think that, uh, you know, America is really just starting to get that now and really starting to understand that even in a small town with five, a five, 5,000 seat stadium, they can rock that thing. They can do pickle races. They can do whatever they want to make it fun and interesting, but that's culture. That's culture of, of football or soccer in here. And it's like, you know, we're just happening to that now. So it's exciting times. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jay. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, could you let the listeners know where they can follow you on social media? Yeah, my uh, my Twitter and um, 
Instagram is D6 Merit. And my organizations are Rise and Shine. Uh, you can find, find the movie on YouTube, Rise and Shine. And, and then also our mentorship programs. We mentor young players. We mentor um, you know young individuals all across the board um, through our programs at Rise and Shine. And that's at RXS Mentorship. Quincy Marroquois here, and thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with someone you feel will get some value from it. And if you could take a moment to leave a review of our podcast wherever you're listening and let us know who you'd like us to interview next, we'll get working on that right away. You can listen to this full episode and more at perfectsoccerskills.com slash radio. That's perfectsoccerskills.com slash R-A-D-I-O. You can also enter to win free weekly soccer prizes, goals, balls, jerseys, player meet and greets, and more by heading over to perfectsoccerskills.com slash P-S-T-M to enter to win for free today.